0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Praise the Lord. I want to say welcome to all of our guests here this morning. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us. God richly bless you. What a privilege. What a privilege to be in church today. Uh, and and I, when I use the word church, I'm talking about what a privilege it is to be with you. Uh, I love this church, and I love the precious saints of God that are in this church. If you will go with me today to the book of Luke chapter 23. I told my wife, I believe it was Friday I said early on in my ministry, I f- felt like the Lord would always give me something, an encouraging thought. And uh, I, I preach a lot at the prison, so the gentlemen need encouraging. But it seems like over the last couple of years, the Lord always gives me a, a message or a thought of of warning or heeding His call, and sometimes that's very difficult. Um, It's very difficult to preach. And uh, I, I just come to you this morning with a, I have felt a heaviness. I have felt a heaviness over the past week and I don't say that for your pity. I just ask you to pray for me this morning. I heard a wise man say one time, if you spend all your time working on your sermon not to offend anyone, you're never going to reach anyone. And so it is not my intent to be offensive today, but I do feel like I have a a pointed word from God and um, I just want to speak to us today from this topic, avoiding a tragic ending, avoiding a tragic ending ending father i love you and i'm so thankful for the privilege to be in this place thankful for the word of god that that goes forth i'm thankful as it convicts and as it urges me and and as it challenges me to change my course of direction i'm asking today that the spirit of god would speak to us this word has long been anointed lord but what i ask of you right now is to anoint these lips of clay I'm asking you to anoint our hearts and our mind, and I ask you to pour into our spirit the voice and the word of God. Before you are seated, turn to your neighbor and uh, just tell him how good it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. I will refer to quite a bit of text this morning, and uh, that's not to... I don't say that apologetically, but if you are a note-taker, keep your pen in hand, uh, because for the sake of time, I did not give them all to the the media department because uh, we can't get them all on the screen. But Luke chapter 23... Verse 20, Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them but they cried saying crucify him, crucify him and he said unto them the third time why what evil hath he done I I have found no cause of death in him I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And they released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning into them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, What shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And I have read all that to try to lay a foundation uh, this morning. And what I want to do now is point your attention to verse 34. And this is where I want to draw my text and provoke our thoughts from today. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is not something taken place after the fact. It is happening as he speaks, as he hangs on the cross. He is petitioning the throne of heaven and saying, God, they have no clue. They have no idea what they are doing. They have taken the eternal God of heaven who is robed in flesh and they are crucifying him. And by his own admission, Jesus says they don't understand what's going on. They they don't know what is going on. And that was tragic. Tragic in that day and hour. But I, I believe there may be an even greater tragedy in our day that we are a generation upon whom which the ends of the earth has come. And there are so many who do not know him. And there are so many apostolic Pentecostals that have no clue what is going on around them. They have no idea what is actually taking place in this world. We are a generation that is losing a very powerful, profound, and a very necessary message. Uh, And I'm, I'm not standing here today to contradict or or dispose of any preaching that has went on from this desk, but the message of the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church and the destiny of the soul has almost become a lost message in Pentecost. I I, I enjoy hearing the stories uh, that my uncle Danny will tell and some of our other elders of how uh, one individual I, I remember uh, brother Beck. They said brother Beck would preach hell so hot that you could hear that you could smell the smoke. In the building, I remember as a, as a young man, as a boy in in that little white building, and even in this building, hell being preached so real that I would go home fearful, fearful, to go to sleep, and I would need my mom to Calm me down and let me know that everything's going to be all right. We we see people that, and, and again, not to be offensive this morning, but we see people time after time that live their life to the wind, live any old way, carefree and careless, never given thought or intent to the ways of the Lord or to the things of the Lord. And the day comes with they pass from this earth and, and we'll hear a story that says, oh, but But right there at the last minute, before they gave their last breath, they said a phrase or they said a word and and everything's going to be all right. They took Jesus into their heart. And I'm here to tell us today, ladies and gentlemen, that that is unequivocally true. And I dare to say... That there are some people, some young people in the back this morning and perhaps even some young couples that sit under this roof this morning that have never heard an entire message preached on the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. They've never they've never heard an entire message preached on the, the destiny of the soul and that yes, we unequivocally must live righteous and godly and soberly in this present world and when this life is over, We're going to live forever somewhere. And if you don't go to heaven, there is only one option, and that is hell. And it goes on for eternity and eternity and eternity. The prophet said, I saw the smoke of torment ascending forever and ever and ever. We are a generation that is going to witness, and I, I, I believe this with all of my heart. There are people under the sound of my voice this morning that will see the rapture of the church and the coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ. And I want to preach to us this morning is that sometimes we get so caught up in this present world that we 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 lose focus of what's really going on around us. We we get disillusioned and we get distracted of how important the church is and how important our relationship is with Jesus Christ. This indictment, Father, forgive them, for they know. Not what they do comes from the cross. The Spirit is getting ready to leave the body that it has resided in and Jesus is about to cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And from the cross he cries, Father, forgive them for they, they don't know what they're doing. It is a sad ending to an even sadder story. There are many tragic scriptures in the Bible, but one of the most tragic Jumps off the pages to me as found in John 1 and 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came birth to a Jewish woman, He came birth to a Jewish household, He came birth under Jewish customs. It was the will of God that the gospel be preached to the Jews first. He came to them, they were His own. And not only did not they receive him, they rejected him, they ridiculed him, they rebuked him, and ultimately they crucified him. 1 Corinthians 2 and 8 says, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But because they did not know, they crucified the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. The word that's translated Lord in that verse of Scripture is a Greek word that means the supreme God or the eternal God of heaven, a God that stepped out on the emptiness emptiness of nothing, ungodded himself, robed himself in flesh and walked among us that we may be redeemed the greatest sin the greatest tragedy was not that they crucified the Lord of glory it was that they did not know he was in their midst he was among them and they did not know if they would have known the Bible says that they would have not have crucified him and when I look at the word of God and I look at the ministry of Jesus it it begs the question, what, what callous, callousness and what insensitivity could have caused Israel not to know? For 4,000 years there had been an ongoing prophecy, an ongoing foretelling of this coming in Genesis. In Genesis on, on the hills of the fall of mankind when sin was introduced into the world, the Lord spoke to Eve and says, I know it looks bleak now. I, I know it looks disappointing now, but, but don't you worry. I'm already beginning to set the stage and your seed is going to bruise the head of this serpent. The, the, to Abraham, before there was ever a movement in the womb of Sarah, he said, your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy speaks of the coming of the Messiah and the Savior Isaiah spoke of it in 7 and 14. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He, he went on in chapter 35 and 4 to say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. Even with God, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Even in the hours of disillusion and confusion, John called his disciples to them and said, I want you to go to Jesus. When he was incarcerated, he said, you go to Jesus and you ask him, is he the one that we're seeking or should we look for another to come? And as the disciples presented that question to Jesus, he told them in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 4, he said, you go tell John that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. It was a definite and direct fulfillment of what Isaiah had been prophesying and what he had been foretelling. Even the little old small town of Bethlehem is foretold in the book of Micah chapter 5 and 2 when he said, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. They had longed, they had looked, they had hoped, they had wished for a Messiah. They had expected him. And yet, when he walks on to the scene, when Jesus Christ enters on to the scene and into their lives, they, they don't even know it. He fulfilled every prophecy that was uttered, everything that had been told. And they didn't know that he walked among them. They they were earnestly sincere. They prayed for the coming of the Messiah and they longed for him to be amongst them. And can I submit to you this morning that sincerity in this business of living for God is not enough. We can be sincere, but we've, we've, we've got to get it right and we've got to know truth. Jesus himself told them when they began to question him about his coming in John 5 and 39, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me what he's saying there is he says you're students of the word you're constantly looking in it you're trying to find answers and that's a good thing but let me let you in on a little secret they are they which testify of me while you got your nose in the book while you're studying the book open your eyes everything you see is about me everything you read is about me everything you hear is about me I am there but you do not know me On crucifixion day, dying on the cross, the hands of people, the voices of people, the hearts of people, the same people that for 4,000 years prayed for this Messiah, heard the prophetic utterances of this Messiah, the one they had been looking for, are standing there below the cross crying, crucify him, crucify him. And he appeals from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May I respectfully say to you today that in the Holy Ghost and in the realm of the Spirit, you can almost hear the hurting, pleading voice of God as he looks at our generation and says, Father, forgive them. They they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know... What's going on? They don't know enough about the time. We don't know enough about the time in which we live. We don't know enough about the will of God for this time. And part of the reason is found in a scripture that we're also very familiar with and is often quoted in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2. For men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. We are a generation that has bought into the lie of hell and we measure the blessings by the favor of God. We, we, We measure... Things that we have, material things. When we're talking about being blessed of God, most often we're always talking about stuff. When we're talking about the favor of God, we're most always talking about the stuff that God has put in our life. And can I say this this morning, and I've said it before, that this stuff means nothing to God. And one day he's going to burn it all up. Because that's not what is important to him. We love ourselves and we love this world. And I fear that if we could hear the cry of Calvary today, he would be saying, Father, forgive them. Because they, they're they no longer pilgrims and strangers in this land. But they've taken up residence in this world. This is where their hope is. And, and this is where... Their treasure lies. This is how they measure my goodness and my my favor and my faithfulness by how much and how many and how often. And the Bible foretold and warned us of this in this generation. In Second Timothy 2 and 7, he said, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it has never been so more prevalent in our day and time you see churches all, and I, I'm not just speaking of other doctrines and denominations this morning. I'm talking about apostolic churches across this country, across this world, that come and gather and worship the Lord, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. They never understand what the truth of God is all about. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 29, You do err not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. He's saying you don't know the scripture. Now, he's not talking about being able to quote or recite. The word know there means to be able to perceive or understand or, or or get an idea of the big picture. He he says the reason you go off course is because you don't understand the word of God. You may be able to quote it, and you may be able to give some mental assent to it, but you just don't really understand or know the power of God and the word nor there is a connecting verb. It's the it's the Greek word for even. So what he's saying here is you don't perceive, you don't understand the word of God, even which is the power of God. The word of God is power. There is power in the word of God. The same power that is spoken of in Acts 1 and 8 when he says, I'll give you power, It's the same power that's referred to in Romans 1 and 16 when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And what we face and what Paul was warning us about is we know it and we have it in our head and we can recite it. But Paul said in Hebrews 4 and 2, for unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not, not being mixed with faith in them that heard that. And I read that scripture. I said, it's not enough to know the word. What, what he's saying there is we got we to gotta mix the word in with our faith. The word that's translated mixed there is a Greek word meaning to reconstitute. And so we understand what Paul is trying to demonstrate here to us. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. And if I get some of this wrong, Brother Davis, you can clear this up with me a little later. But there, there are several kinds of orange juices you, you can buy. You can buy it from concentrate or you can buy it fresh, not from concentrate. You, you know, you can go to the freezer and buy it frozen in the little tube and you can squeeze it into the, to the right amount of water and it will become Orange juice it will become what it was it's concentrated you put it into water and you are reconstituting it and it returns it returns to what it was originally in orange juice and and let me say it like this the book we hold in our hand is the concentrated word of god john said the word the world could not contain all that was here, and if 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 Paul said the problem, we take this concentrated word of God, these few words, and we hold them in in our brain, and we 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 keep them in our heart, but we don't mix them with our faith. So when we don't mix the word of God with our faith to apply it with our life, it doesn't get reconstituted in our lives, and we don't get the dimension that God really intended. For us to have and to take with us into eternity. It's more than mental assent. It's more than just agreeing that this is the eternal settled word of God. David said it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I, I don't know where to go without the word. I don't know what to do without the word. I don't know how to act without the word. I don't know how to believe without the word. And I, and I believe God is weary with his people saying, I think and I believe. Take this in the context I'm saying it in, but God does not care what I think and what I believe. He has given me the settled word of God, and it's that that I've got to live my life on. It's that that I've got to base the way I conduct myself on. He said, I've given you this eternal word, and you've got to hide it in your heart, and you've got to let it mix with your faith until it becomes the all-consuming authority in my life. If the word of God is not consuming my life and if it's not ruling my life, I've got to, I've got to stand still and reevaluate my position and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 and 9 said, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Unfortunately, all some people know about God is the spiritual side. They love the Spirit, love the way it feels, love getting the goosebumps. And and don't get me wrong, I, I do too. Thank God for the Spirit, the tangible power of God that we can feel. I love when the Spirit moves in the place. I love to, to see the operation of the Holy Ghost as it's poured out. And make no mistake about it, the Spirit of God has been so prevalent in our midst uh, over the past few weeks and months but if we're not careful that's all we'll get concerned with we'll get concerned with how 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 hot's it going to get in here today how 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 fast is God going to move who who's going to shout who's going to tear loose and when that's over when that part of the service and we it comes time to transition to the preached word of God we tend to tune out because we've come to get what we we, we think we need it the other side of that spectrum is that some people don't like all the noise and the demonstrative worship. They just say, let me hear the preaching and the laws and the rules. Tell me what I can and can't do. And then I'll take that out the door with me. I know how to obey rules, and, and, and we ought to obey rules. That's not what I'm implying today. But, and if you're young in the Lord, he, hear this today. If, if, you, if you don't hear nothing, I say, standards and doctrine are not a dirty word. Standards and doctrine is what we're built upon. God said come out from among them and be separate. And if we think, if I think I can be like the world or be a part of the world and live for God, I'm sadly mistaken. It can't happen. And some think, well, I'm obeying the rules, and as long as I'm following these lists of rules, all is okay. And no, I, I tell us today that all is not okay. The fruit of the Spirit is all righteousness and holiness. And I've got to know how to walk in the Spirit, but I've got to—I've also got to know how to walk in truth. Some all they know is spirituality, and, and that can be so bad, and others all they know is rules and regulations, and that's worse. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 8 that there were people like this in his day, and this world is filled with them today, and he gave a clarion warning when he said, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There is no tragedy greater. Please hear me today. I I pray, I pray to God that that no one in this sanctuary this morning would face tragedy today, that you would that you would be receive something from the doctor prescribing you with some illness. I pray that that no one would have something befall them this week that would be some tragic thing that would be almost unimaginable. But can I tell you today, the most tragic thing, no matter whatever happens or aspires in our life, the most tragic thing that could ever happen to you and I is to sit in this church week after week after week after month after month, after year, after year, and never see ourselves in the preached Word of God, never see ourselves needing to change direction or change our course, never feeling the conviction of the power of God urging us and and telling us that we need to make a turn. And if we're not careful, we become like a generation like those that stood at the foot of the cross that day. And Jesus is going to look at us and say, Oh, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. And it's going to happen that way. Sad as it may seem, it's going to happen that way because the Bible has said that it would. Matthew 24 and 37, he said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be a hundred plus years of preaching. It's going to rain you you better you better turn, you better get right it's it's the rain's coming I, I'm building this big boat for a reason. We are a generation upon which the end of the world is coming. and sometimes we are so arrogant and we think that if it's not happening to the church here it's not happening and can I tell you all across this globe there are people that are given their life for the name of Jesus. There are people having their heads cut off for the name of Jesus. There's people that don't even have, the, haven't had the opportunity yet to know Jesus. Yet we sit here week in and week out and it's here. We take it if we want it or we leave it if we want it. And if we don't feel inclined to today, that's all right. We'll come back next Sunday and it'll be here. But can I tell you today that Jesus is calling and the voice of God is, is echoing to us and he's saying, I'm here. I'm here. Sometimes we don't even know. Too often our awareness is after the fact. If they would have known they would have not have crucified him. If they would have known the flood was coming they would have obeyed the preaching and they would have got in the ark. If we would have known that the rapture is coming we would have got right. It's like the rich man and Lazarus, and we all know the story. And the rich man said, "If you would just send him to t- to put a drop of water and cool my tongue." And he says, "There's there's a there's a great there's a great wall fixed between us, and that can't happen." And he said, "Send send somebody to warn my family." And what he was saying there, and what what the reply was, if they won't hear the preaching, they won't be reached. If you examine and do an exhaustive study of the gospels it it will reveal that the closer Jesus got to Calvary the less he healed the less he opened blinded eyes and the more he just preached and can I tell you it makes me pause and wonder as we draw closer to the to the rapture how important is the preaching of the word of God, even in Acts two, when the Holy Ghost was poured out and they staggered like drunken men in this incredible move of the Spirit of God, and we read about uh, the three thousand souls were added. They were pricked in their heart, but but if we look at the Word of God, there was not some lame man that was raised that called this that caused this great demonstration. Not a not a blind eye open, not a deaf ear to made clear what caused this was the preached. Word of God, Peter preached a message to repent and be baptized and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's like Eli and Samuel in the temple under the same roof. And the word says, and ere the lamp of God went out, God begins to call And one who is unlearned, one who is unskilled and inept of all the ritual and formality of the temple. Hears the voice of God, and may I say respectfully this morning that the 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 preacher or the prophet he just sleeps on, and God is calling us in this last hour. And I wonder today, have we allowed the light to go out? Are we hearing the voice of God, and what I what I, what God has been stirring me over for in the last few days, dealing with me and. And If a church, if we're not careful, we will sit here and be like Eli the high priest and we will become lazy, careless, and indifferent on the goodness of God, perhaps even coming becoming to the point of rebellious and get to the point where we don't want preaching in our life anymore. Get to the point where I don't want nobody to stand behind this desk and make me feel uncomfortable. We just want to be told we're the church and we're okay and we are the church. We are okay but my challenge to us this morning is to make sure we're in the church. We used to sing the old song above all else I must be saved. There are people that profess this way yee-haw and gee haw on Sundays. But come the week when they do business or the ones they're around with, they would never even know that they was in an apostolic church on Sunday morning. And I'm pleading with us this morning. We need to ask ourselves, what, what, are, what are we doing? God forbid that Gabriel would have one foot on the mountain and one foot in the sea and blow that trumpet to call us home. And God look at me and say, Jerry, what was you doing? You sat there week after week after week. The word went forth, and you allowed yourself. I'm talking this morning about doing everything we possibly can to avoid a tragic ending. You may say, well, Jerry, we we felt God last week, and we'll feel God today, and I'm glad we do. But can I tell you that time after time after time He had abandoned the covenant of God. The Bible says that adversity would come up against him and he would rise and the spirit of the Lord would come upon him and he would defeat whatever it was that had attacked him. But there came a day when he didn't know what was going on. The callousness of his heart, the careless slumber in his relationship, the covenant with God was broken and Samson's hair was cut. And when the call come in the middle of the night to arise, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He said, I will do as times before and shake myself. And we've said it, and heard it said so many times behind this desk. The Spirit of the Lord departed from him and he didn't even know it. He could not avoid a tragic ending. Jesus knew what was going to happen in the last days. He gave warning in Luke 12 and 54. He said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west straightway, you say, There cometh a shower. And so it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, "There, There will be heat. And it comes to pass. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you cannot even discern this time? In our high powered, Holy Hustle to try and, um, if, if I could get Brother Everett and Josh to help me here, and our high-powered Holy Hustle to get things right. Sometimes We get so focused on the things that's going on in the world that we lose sight of the fact of where we need to be. Josh, if you'll take that and go out the door. And Brother Everett, if you'll just hold the door open for him. We get so caught up in the world and we get so caught up in life and we can't even understand what's going on sometimes and our jobs, our families, things that we're responsible for keeps us out of focus. And I feel that the Lord is calling us in this last hour and He's saying you've got to understand. You've got to understand what's going on in your life. You, you, you can't just keep traveling down a trail that you don't know. You can't just keep participating in things that that are not of God, and you can't understand what I'm trying to say to you, but the word of the Lord is calling us in this last hour, and he's saying, as I have sent forth my people, just keep going on out, Josh, until it gets tight. He said, if I call the voice of my people, and the people hear my voice, they understand and know, but sometimes we get wrapped up in the things of life, and we get wrapped up in this world, and we don't hear the voice of God, and I get so concerned with my life, and I get so concerned with the things going on, and I forget about eternity. And if you would, this morning, I know this is simple, but just, just let your figment of imagination stay with me here. This, this goes on and on and on. Everybody, say, "This is my timeline." This timeline goes on to Brantford, and it goes on to Atlanta, and it goes on to Canada, and it goes around the world time and time and time and time again. We talk about eternity, but you and I could never fathom eternity. We will never understand eternity until the day it arises. And we we think we do. But we can't wrap our minds around eternity. And when we think of eternity, we think of, we try to relegate it to time. But there is no time relegated to eternity. And so when I think about eternity, I can't even fathom how far eternity goes. So my mind reverts back to my life. And this little piece of red on the end here represents my life. And I get so wrapped up in this. I'm so consumed with this. And everything I do is delegated towards this that I forget about this. I forget about what's going to take place when this is over. And I'm I'm working hard all of my life. And I'm not casting stones here this morning because I'm standing at the front of the line. And if I were, every rock would hit me because I am so guilty of this. But I worked so hard to make sure this little old piece of retirement is going to be okay. And I forget about all of that. And God is saying today, don't get wrapped up in this. In just a brief moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to be over. And that is what matters. That is what's going to last for eternity. That is what you need to have your focus on. And my fear is that there are people sitting in this building. And people with lost loved ones. There will come a day when the Lord is going to return to this church and people are going to rush to this building, they're going to tear down the doors, they're going to bust out the windows. Amos said he looked at the place, a place of rejoicing and jubilee, and it was turned into a place of howling because people will be lost. The rapture will have taken place. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil. Can I tell you today that any spirit that tells us that what we have out there is more important than what we have in here is a seducing spirit. Any spirit that tells us that it doesn't matter what's preached behind this desk. It doesn't matter what, what, what the pastor may say or it doesn't matter what the word of God says. I can live how I want to. I can act how I want to. I can conduct myself how I want to is a doctrine of the devil. And if we don't take that by the throat, it don't matter how long you've been in this way. And it don't matter what you think you know or how strong you think you may stand. David said, Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And it doesn't matter to the devil. He could care less if he could turn some of us back into the world, back to, back to alcohol or, or back to fortification. That's not what he's concerned with. If he could just get us to sit on this pew week after week after week and let callousness grow over our heart. Let condemnation grow over our heart. Let rebellion rise up in us. He has succeeded. And we will be lost in eternity forever. We know the history and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 22, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. He's saying Sodom and Gomorrah. Capernaum, if Sodom and Gomorrah would have seen what you got to experience, if they would have seen the healing and the miracles and experienced the preached word of God like you had the opportunity to, they would have repented. And I believe God is going to say to some on that reckoning day You sat and listened to my word being expressed. You sat and listened to anointed preaching. You've seen miracles. You've seen signs. You've seen wonders in my name. And still you allowed your heart to be misled. I'm pleading. With us today, as our musicians come to stop for a moment and ask ourselves, what things has God inserted into my life? What preaching has He allowed me to hear? What preachers has He put into my life? Harsh preaching, yes, it is sometimes, but hell's going to be harsh. Rapture's going to be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Pointed preaching I don't know anything more important than him saying Jerry depart from me I I never knew you if we knew if we knew the time and day if the Lord said I'm coming back at 6 o'clock this evening not one person would leave this house lunch wouldn't matter the afternoon nap wouldn't matter would be on our faces before God, making absolutely sure that our hearts are right, and we have the opportunity to come in week after week. And the Lord deals with my spirit and He deals with my heart. And sometimes I I get so callous and say, "Well, maybe I don't respond today. It'll it'll be here next week." One of the most profound prayers we find in the Bible, Solomon. He's alone with God and he's calling out to God and he says, God, give me an understanding mind. What he was saying is, God, help me to know what's going on. Help me to know what I'm doing. I pray, dear God, I pray everything that's going on in my life, don't let me, God, get so wrapped up that I forget what's important. I want to avoid a tragic ending. And the only way to do that is to be planted in the truth in the Word of God. And God demonstrates Himself and demonstrates Himself time after time in the upper room on the day of Pentecost where the Lord said they was in one mind and one accord. They was unified. And I I walk softly here, but I'll I'll follow in the steps of our pastor. He stood behind this desk and said a few weeks ago that as a church we get to a place when the Holy Ghost is moving and the Spirit of God is being poured out and we we tend to, to quench the Spirit or to back off. And I submit to you today that that comes from not being unified. Please hear me. God is calling us again and again and saying, I've got so much, so much that I want to show and so much I want to do. But he said, we're all going to have to get on board. We're all going to have to climb on this same train and get unified in the Spirit. And God will show His power In His awesomeness if we want to be involved or if we don't want to be involved. And what God will do when people can't get united, when people can't join as one and people can't hear the clarion call of God, what He does is, is He will remove them. And I don't want to be removed I don't want to be removed from the flock of God. Late last night, I've I've read the passage of Scripture many times, but it just kept resonating in my mind, so I I went back and read it to refresh myself. But in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and I'm, I'm hurrying, I'm trying to come to a close, but in the book of Daniel, we read of Nebuchadnezzar. This great king and the children of Israel are in bondage. They're in captivity, and and we know about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and these these children of Israel were elevated just just a little bit they was they got to see some things and be around the king that others didn't get to experience and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and and his, his soothsayers and and his his witchcrafters they can't interpret this dream, so he calls on Daniel. Daniel comes and says, I'm gonna to have to spend some time with God, and I'm I'm gonna to have to get along with God, but God will show me what this is. And and so Daniel interprets the dream. And and Nebuchadnezzar realizes how powerful the God of Daniel is, and he says, The God of Daniel is the greatest God there is. The Goddess was trying to give a revelation to Nebuchadnezzar. He was trying to show him who he was was you read a few verses later Nebuchadnezzar he builds this false god and he says you're going to bow down and worship everybody when you hear the sound fall to your face and worship Shadrach Meshach and Abednego refused to do so and we all know about the fiery furnace and 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 Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with fury that he said I want you to heat it seven times hotter than it's ever been. And the men that cast them into the fiery pit, the word of God says that it consumed them. Read down just about three verses later, and the word says that Nebuchadnezzar stepped to the mouth of the open. God has displayed his power in interpreting a vision, and God has displayed his power in saving the life of Nebuchadnezzar because just a few verses before he burnt the men up that come near Then he shows him his power when he looks down and don't see three. He sees four like unto the Son of God walking in the fire. Again, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. God has tried to reveal to him time after time after time. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream again. Daniel comes and prophesies this dream. And he tells him what's going to take place. And if you read the Word of God, one year passes by. And Nebuchadnezzar steps in his high and mighty pompous place and he says, is this not Babylon that I have built? And before the words were even out of his mouth, the word of God said that he was cast into the wilderness with the beast to eat grass for seven years. What are you talking about, Jerry? I'm saying we've got to realize as a church... That We've got to be unified. We've got to understand what God is trying to do in our last hour. I don't want to be the one that's holding the Spirit of God back. I don't want to be cast into the field. Can you stand with me this morning across this house? I, I don't want to be the one that's cast into the, to the field with the beast and, and have, to, have to eat grass and live there for seven years. I've been in the world. I say that shamefully, but I've been in the world and I've experienced what they have to offer. And there is no greater place, no greater place and no greater time and hour to be in the church of the living God. Would you lift your hands across this house this morning? Father, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for the power. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.